We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm great, man. I feel amazing. Oh, good. Why do you feel amazing? Oh, just because it's a beautiful day and... Yes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I thought I was getting sick, but I think maybe I, I was just an old guy that slept badly two nights in a row. It's a really thin line at this point, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel sick today. Yeah, when you get older, you get worse at sleeping and it sucks. Which it's- is incredible because it's like one of three things I do now. Like I expected to get worse at basketball. I thought like sleeping would be something I'd have another 10 years of competence at. I'm good at, I'm good at napping and I suck at sleeping. So that's just very... In theory, I should nap in the bed and I should sleep at night on the couch. And it's all about finding the right roles to help your personnel excel. But so I wouldn't tr- ask I wouldn't ask you to sleep for nine straight hours. But you know, if you need uh, the, the Leroy Horde thing, where if you if you need uh, four yards, I'll get you four. If you need five yards, I'll get you four. Yep. Like, yeah. That's that's where you are. I'll, yeah. The sun the sun is out. And and you can go to any restaurant at 100% capacity in Texas. It's fantastic. It feels great. I'm so happy I moved to Fort Worth. Yeah. It, you know what? And it's not just the fact that I can go anywhere and have a man uh, in a Miles Austin jersey scream directly into my face. It's the people. It's I like, not just the freedom. I like I go to Texas and Mississippi and be persecuted for wearing a mask uh, by people who prize individual liberty. Like that really... You know, I see no no conflict of interest there. Let me get at all. too heavy with it off the bat because we are just starting and we do have a guest. But my friends yes. that live in Austin were saying that they like when they went to the store, people were still wearing masks. That this is basically as it has been all along. Like it's us. Yeah, but and that's Austin though. Yeah, that's, and I think like, it's probably that ain't happening. In, that ain't happening in fucking Dallas. It may not that. be, but I mean, I feel like it's the sort of thing where we've been abandoned a long time ago. So hopefully, people yep. are sincere enough in their good behaviors that they'll keep it going. Even if, like, Greg Abbott's pushing the yeehaw agenda <laughs> over the yep. health of the people in his state. Yeah, it was always, you know, that was the NFL slogan all season was, it's on us. And it was always that, you know, it didn't it didn't read the way they thought it read. Right, like, yeah. yeah. They're like, you're on your own. Yeah, it's like, how about you do something, motherfucker? You know? <laughs> anyway, let's talk about pasta. Yeah, our good transition. Is, Nailed it. Our, our guest is Dan Pashman of the Sporkful Podcast. At this point, uh, before I... Before I let Dan speak, I just want to say, Roth, I, I think it's possible that like 50 to 60% of our guests are also podcasters themselves. Like, I yeah. think that's the podcast. What problem. percentage of Americans are podcasters themselves? Pro- probably like 80%. What percentage yeah, so of- we, It's more remarkable when we miss, when like Bob Mould yeah. is like, no, I don't do that. What person, <laughs> Dan, Dan Pashman, do you know anyone who does not have a podcast at this point? I don't think. I mean, I I only talk to other people when we are guesting on each other's podcasts. <laughs> That's that right, man. I had that thought a couple of weeks ago, where it was like realizing that the the friends that I've caught up with most recently of somebody being like, "I need to do a bonus episode for my Patreon. Do you want to come on and just talk about how sad you are?" <laughs> That's a conversation that I have with people now, but not on the right. phone because we don't do that anymore. Right. Most conversations are just like, "Hey, how's it going? Wait, sh- sh- did you start recording? Should we be recording? Should we be recording this?" <laughs> Really? Yeah. Lose any gold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel weird if I'm on a Zoom call and it's not a podcast. Like I have yeah. Zoom therapy appointments, and I'm like, "Well, actually, Miss Gabby, what I'd like to talk about today is my anger." Yeah, that is. It's the toughest part with all of this being. It's like the one medium for all the different levels of expression. So it's like having fun with your friends, but also.
also me talking to my therapist and like just instinctively doing bits because I can like see my face in the little window and I can see how someone's reacting to it. So I'm like, what's the deal with the, uh, you know, they give you little peanuts on the airplane. Of course, can't do that anymore. <laughs> Why am I doing that? Dan, you do a pasta podcast. You tell me about the pasta podcast. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I do a food podcast. We do all, all right, kinds of different podcast. stories about food. Uh, our, our slogan is, it's not for foodies, it's for eaters. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, we, we do some shows that are super serious, some shows that are very silly, some shows that are nerdy. We kind of cover food from every conceivable angle. Um, but right now, we are doing the biggest, craziest thing we have ever attempted in the 11-year history of this Borkful podcast. I have set out to invent a new pasta shape actually get it made, and actually sell it. Like, can you get patented? Can you patent a pasta shape? You can. Uh, I mean, well, I, you know, if, if I if I end up with one, we'll find out. But, but I mean, you know, uh, if, if you invent something like that, you can, you could in theory patent it. So is it possible that you will have invented a pasta shape, but in fact, literally every shape has already been patented by like Nike or Apple or Procter & Gamble <laughs> or something like that? Well, we're, we're butting up against the upper limits of my my trademark and patent uh, attorney knowledge because I'm not an attorney. I'm just I just uh, although I come from a long line of lawyers, um, guy loves noodles. Man. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I think that like w- w- once you know once there's a hundred you know like like something like a rigatoni that's that's been out there for hundreds of years and every company makes it. You can't patent that, um, but you could patent a new one. And you could also could also in theory trademark the name of the podcast name of the pasta. This is, like, to me, like, I will say that, like, I support you in this endeavor because uh, it seems uh, interesting and fun. There's definitely a part of me that I don't even know where this particular conservative reflex came from because, like, most of them I can trace back to my upbringing. I'm not Italian. So the idea that, like, there's a part of me that's like, we already have enough pasta shapes, man. Like, <laughs> you can't do a new one. Like, first of all, you're not even Italian. Second of all, but, like, how did you get the idea – to that this was something that needed to be done because i feel like i'm discovering new ones all the time usually by reading about them because i can't go out anymore <laughs> right right um you can get them sent to your house now we have the technology roth yeah um, wait, you mean like through a 3d printer interesting right. <laughs> mm, printed pasta um, uh, but no i mean i yes there are a lot of shapes out there according to the encyclopedia of pasta which is sort of the bible on this subject there are about 350 shapes uh, you know there's so there's some out there that haven't never been cataloged because they're only like in one village in the mountains in italy Ooh. but of, of the ones we know there's about 350 shapes with about 1200 names so oftentimes you'll have the same shape but it goes by different names in different parts of italy now when i first heard that i was like only 300 something shapes like that's actually less than i would have guessed yeah um, and a lot of them are kind of variations on a theme. And I know this is sacrilegious to some people, but I think a lot of them aren't that great. Or, or at least like, okay, so so let me walk you through. I'm, I, this, this, I think, is going to be right in your guys' wheelhouse. Give me, give me a bad pasta shape. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't do it Wag- now, but go ahead. Tell me. Tell wagon me wheels. Wagon wheels are a bad pasta shape. Oh, yeah, shape. they're a little okay. Bow ties. Oh, my, my son loves those, but my son is is 12 so it <laughs> right no exactly like my kids will eat any silly shape but um i i have these three criteria that i've come up with that i use to judge pasta shapes all shapes and i feel like the you know the best shapes will do well in all these categories first one forkability how readily does how easy is it to get the shape on your fork and keep it there number 2 sauceability how well does sauce adhere to the shape right. number 3 most important of all tooth sink ability 
How satisfying is it to sink your teeth into it? And I think that most shapes out there, even the ones, there's a lot of shapes that are good at one or two of those things. Very few nail all three. This well, is, what if some it, of them are like fun though? What, where is fun? Why isn't fun a fourth thing? Like if it's shaped like the letter A or something like that, wouldn't that be cool too? I mean, look, I, I, I think that a lot of pasta shapes are fun. I think, I think sh- pasta shapes are inherently kind of delightful to me. Um, even ones that aren't that aren't that good to eat, anything that's kind of squiggly, curly, loopy, mm. curvy, tuby, all of those, all of those are kind of joyful to me. I'll eat any pasta at the end of the day. I'm inclined to agree on that. Like it's the one that we make it on Fridays now. Like this is all the the sort of the the process of being uh, trapped in an apartment with the woman I love for an entire year has led to the development of some new and sometimes horrifying routines. But Friday is definitely like. I always think of eating pasta as being like a vacation. Like that's like the fun thing to make. It's the thing I've known how to cook the longest. And it's the thing I feel like the most confident in making for the most part. And so the idea of it being like a fun thing, I guess like I I am not, uh, I don't usually bring that to bear on like the, the daily meals that I have. In terms of like, am I going to enjoy this? Like, am I going to want to clap my hands or whatever? But I think that like pasta is the one that has the the highest percentage of me being like, Yee! which is uh, weird because that's not a sound I make very normally. <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned that both of you might have taken my joke a little too, too no. literally. I... Well, all right, we're going to go through letter by letter to talk about what the most fun shape is. Because my next question was, you know, why is why aren't erotic pasta shapes noted here? Because they should be erotic as well. By the way. Uh, Making pasta has been my quarantine pickup. Like I did the bread thing at the beginning, and that you fucking make sucked. it, make it though, right? Like you like, I make, make it, it fresh. I have the hand crank, and I can Hell make yeah. it fresh. And also, like, like there's a way to like feed it so that it makes like like there's a way to make it into like noodles. Like cut it. Like you make sheets, and then you can feed the sheets into a different uh, part of the pasta maker that makes it into either like linguine or like spaghetti like width. But it all gets all gummed up, so I don't do that. And I also, I'm way too ma- lazy to make like my own ravioli because that's just a fucking pain in well, the ass. Well, so Drew, I think you're that. selling yourself short. I mean, I've never made pasta from scratch, and I'm the one with the food podcast. I, you know, that's and, true. Uh, you know, and I and I also know I, I'm well aware of your chopped championship, which I'm sure has not Goddamn come up right. at any time yeah, recently. Gotta, so. He's wearing. <laughs> People can't see it because we're doing the podcast. He's wearing the, the title belt on the, the Zoom. And, and, of course, that episode. It I, is I, ostentatious. I, uh, I I made a big pasta faux pas because I broke the, the spaghetti in half. Right, right, right. Oh, wait, did a, you? And did, like, Scott Conant gasp in horror? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He was pissed. He was pissed. He said it ruined, it ruined the bite. And you know what? I still I still break the pasta so it fits in the pot. I still it, it might be time for a bigger pot, Drew. Yeah, uh, yeah but then, like, if you get, like, like, I know. I could get like what about base, twirling? I, could make, I get a pot you could steam a fucking lobster in. Like I could get a pot like that, but then I have to wash it and I don't want to do that. Yeah. So you so you'll take the time to make pasta by hand, but you don't want to take the time to wash the pot. Oh no, no. This is I break the uh the store pasta. I don't have to break my own pasta because I don't dry it. It's already I understand. Right. It's just a relative comparison of effort, I'm just saying. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, nothing I do makes makes any sense. Just yeah. assume you assume I'm a moron on drugs all the time. <laughs> I will. I say that the of the the one of the really like bougie habits that I've kind of permitted myself in my my early middle age is getting um like fancier pasta shapes or like imported ones. There's an Italian market, um, like under Chelsea Market 
called Buona Italia that we go to. And we, there's one particular brand and it's like probably two or three times the cost of like a box of Barilla or whatever. But again, if we're if we're um, living for the few pleasures that we are permitted now, like I don't mind paying that much for like a kilogram of pasta if like just having it feels special to me. And there's all these little like crazy snail shell shapes that like you couldn't get at a regular store and I damn sure could not make. Right. Yeah. yeah Is there, so Dan, in putting this together, yeah. like there were there like shapes that you felt like were more or less perfect than the norm that were like harder to find in a normal supermarket setting? Yeah, for sure. And like one of the things that I do early, that I that I did early on in the process was to just go out and buy every pasta shape I could find. I went to specialty stores all over I the New York too, area and I to had find no reason to do it. But <laughs> right. uh, you know, and, and and I brought back I don't know thirty or forty different shapes, especially trying to find obscure shapes, and. Uh, ate them all up, had a big, you know, kind of get together with this pre COVID um, with uh, a friend of mine, a neighbor who's, who's a chef and my wife and my kids, we all ate all this pasta. And the one shape that stood above all the others in that early test was Mafalda, also known as Mafaldina, which is like um, a long flat noodle, like a fettuccine, except down the edges are ruffles. Ruffles are so clutch. Yeah, so ruffles important. are so good. First of all, they they capture sauce. They increase sauceability. They're also yeah. a very different textural component. When you bite through ruffles, it's totally different from any other pasta shaped component, and it adds a different part of the experience of eating the pasta. It makes the whole thing more varied, more interesting to eat. Oh, look at these um, bad boys! They're like teeny tiny lasagna sheets. Yeah, like so that's microscopic. That, yes, exactly, like lasagna sheets, but narrow enough to twirl on a fork. Yeah, so you can Ooh. get them under Chelsea Market. I have bought those once. They're really long when you get them there, so it's kind of like uh, you know you find yourself up against what they call the McGarry conundrum: Do you break it? <laughs> <laughs> but it is. But they are like I've gotten them in restaurants and stuff. It's also like this is just how clear. Uh, my own idiocy is and also the extent to which all of this shit is just wired into my brain. Like when you said Mafaldini, like I was like, I've had that. I like it. That's fun. I want to eat it. And then I was like, you have no idea what the shape is like. You don't know. Like this is a word that is triggering like a neural response. Which is that it's time for dinner, but like not based on anything. I also, this right. strikes me as one of the pasta shapes where, and I know Roth, you just said you got one that was like three times the box of brill. I feel like the price points for pasta is like a box is either a buck or it's eight bucks. Yeah, like, right, right. I feel well, like and, there's and no th- in that's, between. You're right, and and I, I will say that this process has turned me into a little bit more of a pasta snob because I've been trying a lot of like the higher price ones from Italy, and because those are the ones that are more likely to have obscure shapes. Um, and, but I, you do really taste a difference, and um, you know, I, I one of, so like one of the big differences so, that I learned early on. Because so in order to get my pasta shape made, I have to basically do two things. I have to get a dye, which is like the mold for the shape, and then I have to take that dye to a pasta company to partner with to make it. One of the things that I learned early on is that traditionally pasta dyes were made out of bronze, but nowadays all the more big industrial factories make them with Teflon. Oh, um, okay. So this is not like a color dye. This is a this is the cut dye. Yeah, that's that's right. D I E. I was like, so, oh, so you need like a squid ink toner cartridge? No, no, <laughs> it's a dye like as like. So you remember the Play Doh factory? You push the dough yeah, through the yeah, little yeah, star yeah, shaped yeah, yeah, disc, yeah, yeah. and it comes out like a star. That's how you make pasta. The extruding and, 
plates. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that, that little disc from the Play-Doh factory that has the star-shaped hole, that's a die. And mm. so, uh, Plato spaghetti. The Teflon I mean, those aren't dies. The correct words, but Drew saying extruding cleat is like the opposite effect of Malfaldini to me. Right? <laughs> right? It's like instantly becoming unhungry, being like, "Ah, oh, it's for, it's for industrial shipping." Rope. Right. Well, right. now now we have to yell at you about takes, Dan, because we got to talk. You know, we've talked about best pasta shapes. But let's talk about your worst pasta shapes so we can make fun of you for it. Because you don't like spaghetti, right? That's true. I I will stand by that. Spaghetti. Uh, explain sucks. why. Well, it's round on the outside, which means it has a low surface area in relation to volume, so sauce does not adhere to it well, and less of it contacts your teeth when you bite it. It's So, so it doesn't hold sauce well. It's not especially tooth sinkable. It's kind of thin and flimsy. Uh, uh, yes, if you get a very good one and cook it just right, it's, it's somewhat tooth sinkable, but not that tooth sinkable. On top of everything, it's just a one-note song. It's very simple, you know. I, and I understand that it has a lot of romanticism attached to it, but but it is it is one of the first pastas ever created and you know i think that we've moved beyond it i think we have better options now and it's so simple that i think that by the time you're halfway through a plate of it it's boring what about the uh, the kitara style the squared off spaghetti are you more fond of that it's better it's got some edges so you've got a little something going on but frankly i think most long pastas outside of like your mafalda they're very simple um, and there's something beautiful about their simplicity, but like, you know, newer shapes can be invented. We can do better. And like, let's try to do better. Let's get a little bit more going on. If I have one criticism of almost all pasta shapes, even the ones that I love, it's that there so many of them are one note songs. I also, I, I, I tell you that I understand your argument, but also but I don't respect it. I like <laughs> Well, because also like spaghetti, if you if you go like over to, like uh, like like um, uh, like r- basic straight ramen or glass noodles or something like that, you're gonna get a long thin noodle, and there is a deep deep satisfaction for me, and I'm sure this relates to my childhood of stuffing a gigantic wad of that shit into my mouth and chowing yeah. down on it. Like spaghetti is really really good for that. Like. Like, you know, I I like a delicate, interesting pasta, but really what I want is to stuff my face as quickly as possible. And spaghetti's really good for that. But is it better than fettuccine? Uh, depends on what's all. Eh, maybe. It's it's better than linguine. I'll put it to you that way. Fuck linguine. That's what I, 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 I Hey, hey, uh, whoa, whoa. We, we yeah. can agree on that. Uh, yeah. Fuck uh, linguine. I so. think to me, like, I, I mean, I'm inclined to agree with, like, Dan makes a, a reasonable argument. It doesn't make me want spaghetti less. Like, this is, <laughs> at this point, the podcast is fully torture for me. I had breakfast like 15 minutes ago, and I'm already <laughs> game planning dinner three days from now. But the idea of, like, I think with any of this stuff, it can be elevated. Like, I've had, I think of the pastas that I've liked the least in the past, and I've had at least one, like, incredibly you know artful expression of it usually in a restaurant not at home like i had a i don't i hope it's still open uh a place in the west village that did an angel hair pasta with like a it was like um it's an anchovy butter it's a place called anton's and it was not something i would have ordinarily gravitated to because i think of angel hair as being like terrible stuff. yeah just like kind of it's not none of what you want in pasta like it doesn't have the toothsomeness oh all the good angel hair yeah, again, but, I can I I can stuff my face with so much of it 
just a big haystack. Of, and so that of was angel. part of the appeal of this stuff. Was that? Like, I, I, I wait. Sorry, but I, I'm picturing Drew just like taking a ball of angel hair and wadding it, taking a clump of angel hair and wadding it up into a giant ball like an apple, yeah, and then just, just eating, eating it that's, like an apple. That's exactly what I do. I don't use a fork <laughs> when I eat pasta. <laughs> Just Grandpa Simpson wearing I an just, onion on his belt, but it's I just I just fist it like it's bigly chew, and I just put it I put it in a chaw and I leave it there. I don't even chew it. He's a very difficult man to work with because he will often do this during during the podcast. It, it does yeah. uh, keep, yeah. him, keep him salivated, which is good. Mm, I was yeah, gonna say yeah. though, I, had, I had, had good angel hair. I had good angel hair in like 2019. So like any of this can be done brilliantly. I feel like it's just a matter of. I guess the question is is doing it at home because like that was like the best you know, pasta makers, the best sauce people like working in this city's food scene, all coming together to make that shit taste very good. That cannot be said for doing it at home. Right. What, but to me, one of the kind of like less obvious components of tooth sinkability is how easy is it to cook it so that it comes out tooth sinkable? So in theory, every pasta shape, including angel hair, like you could cook it for 74.836 seconds and it will be perfect. Mm -hmm. But if you cook it for 74.837 seconds, then it's garbage. Yeah. Um, a, a truly great pasta shape should give you some margin for error so that if you're off by 30 seconds, it's still very good. Um, and to me, that's the fault with a pasta like angel hair. Like, in theory, any pasta could be too sinkable. Angel hair almost never is. Have you yeah. uh, have you copyrighted the phrase "tooth sinkability" yet? I have not. That's that's uh, my my legal team is. <laughs> Would you my legal if we did, if you <laughs> if you succeed in creating a pasta shape, and it'd you be like get Pat it, Riley and three Pete, and you get it to market, <laughs> could you conceivably become a billionaire from this pasta shape? Could you uh, patent it so that like routine like. Ronzoni and shit. Like, if they want to also make the shape, they got to pay you like a cent for every box. In theory, I could do that. Billionaire seems like a, a unrealistic in any situation. Is it possible I could make a nice chunk of change off this if it really takes off? If it becomes like cronut level, where it's a national sensation, yeah, and it, everyone's talking about it, and it, it goes crazy on social media, um, and, and it would become like something that I would make money off of for years to come. You know, I could license it to other companies. In theory, that is possible, but highly – it's unlikely. I mean, like, I just – it's hard for me to imagine that it's going to get that big. Is it like, possible you would be breaking Italian law somehow by inventing <laughs> your own pasta shape? This, I was going to ask like, a similar question. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know if they're protective of their shapes like Kentucky and bourbon or if there's like – Oh, like they are. Let me tell you something, Drew. Uh, 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 they're, they're so uh, anal about like what is the definition of let's say tagliatella, tagliatelle, that at the, the Chamber of Commerce in Bologna, there is a golden tagliatella. That you can so you can go take your tagliatelle to the Chamber of Commerce and measure it against the golden tagliatelle to determine whether or not it is the correct length and like width to, to be called tagliatelle. If you can bring a carry on into an airplane, like there's right. like a little box you have to put it on. So if it doesn't match the gold one and you still call it that, do you get sent to prison? You're uh, probably by a grandmother. I, I, I don't. Uh, prison would suggest there was some kind of a, 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 a judge and a jury. I think you probably just get shot. No, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea. This is actually like I think a practical question. It was like all the versions of it that I had were stupid. Where I was like, do you have to like go talk to a, like an Italian guy in Italy when you come up with your pasta shape? But like Drew's right. I mean, they, they doc everything over there. Like it's clearly like this is their cultural heritage and stuff like that. Like. Do you anticipate it, like, provided you come up with a shape that you're ready to bring to market? Like, are you expecting pushback from like big noodle? 
Or from Super Mario. Or from Super Mario. <laughs> see, I was working so hard to steer clear of that shit. <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think that Big Pasta, I mean, like, if they think they can make money off it, then they'll call me. And if not, then they won't. Um, okay. but, but in terms of, like, Italian people and Italian culture, like, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if people in Italy are not thrilled with me. Um, I, I don't pretend to be... I mean, I've learned a lot in this process. I don't pretend to be an expert in pasta or Italian cuisine. I, am. Um, I, I do talk to some experts in the series on the podcast, but like I very early on kind of decided like I need to break free from tradition. You know, like early on, I was like, oh, I should go to Italy and I can like go to Tuscany. And like, I really, I just thought it would give me an excuse to expensive yeah, trip to Tuscany. Say, like, you should. Um, Everyone should. But, but pretty early on, I was like, but, but that's not the journey for me because I, I'm not an expert. I'm not Italian and I'm trying to come at this from a new perspective. So I sort of don't really spend that much time focused on Italy or pasta traditions. I'm pretty early on trying to like break free and go my own way. Um, at, at the same time, I'm using traditional methods to make the pasta, and so I am kind of uh, uh, on a technical level restricted by traditional methods. Um, so, look, I, I think there's a Twitter feed called like Italians Mad About Food. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, I, I'm delightful. pretty like I, I, if I don't end up on that, I think I will have failed. I actually, <laughs> I actually ended up unfollowing that account because a lot of times I felt like they were the ones who were mad about food. <laughs> and I was like, you're supposed to be making fun of the Italians being like, hey, you touch my pasta, I break your face. And right, not, right. they were like that. They were like, they were the ones mad at the food. And I was like, no, no, this isn't right. what I paid for, even though I didn't this pay for This is when the, the, the writer in Drew is upset about a technicality. He's That's like, right. well, technically, the joke was supposed to be this joke, and yeah. you fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucked up. By the Stepping way, on we, we got, lines. We got to take right. a break, but I got one more question for you, Dan, before we talk about other crap. Yeah. Uh, is there any way, since you are now a pasta influencer, can you bring back Chef Boyardee roller coasters? Because that was my favorite pasta shape growing up. <laughs> I'll work on it, Drew. Right. I'll, just for you, I'll make a call. Thank you. Let's take a break and come right back. <laughs> and we're back. We get to talk about sports now. Dan Pashman uh, is a pasta expert, but he also knows about sports. And in fact, is a fan of the Devils, the New Jersey That's Devils. Right. He supports the team. And you were at the uh, championship parade, I want to say 1995. Is that correct? Yeah, I remember that because it was I was right around when I was graduating from high school. And uh, I was at the parade around the Access Road, around the Meadowlands. I was going to oh. say, I knew when you said before we went on that, that you were at that parade, <laughs> I was like, I know where that parade was. <laughs> parked, I've parked in all of the different spots there before I went to go watch the Nets lose to the Pacers by 18 points. <laughs> as a tra- <laughs> like, that's so good that you had. So obviously, this is a that's a sacred space for me. That um, was yeah. That that was big, and 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 my devil's cred, by the way, goes back further. My, my we were season ticket holders, like in the eighties, when it was not hard to get season tickets. I mean, it probably still isn't hard to get devil season tickets, but they had like a skate with the devils thing, where you could actually skate with the players. Ooh! And um, I got Chico Resch's autograph on the back of one of my mom's dry cleaning receipts. Hell while, yeah! Was it while you were skating? Did you like? Yes, on the ice. I wow. I, I, I skated over to my mom. Went back. I used to know how to skate. I kind of forgot, but um. Uh, I I may still have that dry cleaning receipt somewhere. You know, I also I also suck at skating now, and I played hockey as a child. And I if if I go to the rink now, I'm the guy who like stumble like holds on. Yeah, why but, don't we remember? Why isn't it like bike riding? Yeah, it's bullshit. That's bullshit. You, see, you gotta you gotta save time like me and never learn. <laughs> were you like why I have know so much other stuff is because I don't I don't know how to have fun on ice. Were you yeah. so into the devils that like you? 
like vehemently defended like the neutral zone trap from haters and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> I think I did at times defend the new. I mean, I, I I sort of like grudgingly acknowledged like yeah, it's not exciting, but look, we win. So fuck you. Right. You're just jealous because we're winning. Hate that's us because so you ate us. That's somebody that grew up in New Jersey, too, that like the idea of other people hating you because you're succeeding is like the impossible dream of a New Jersey thing. Because usually <laughs> it's like when people are shitting on us, it's like, yeah, no, the state smells weird. I know. Right. Like right, I live right. there. Like I can't be like, oh, you're just jealous of the fact that sometimes it just smells like artificial cherry flavor for a week. <laughs> <laughs> like they're not they're not jealous of that like they yeah yeah appreciate no, that. i was but, like look i'll take the wins any way that i can they're they're just jealous because we have this amazing strategy <laughs> right and jacques lemaire is a genius that's Don't right yeah it. that's right yeah, so ken that's, danico kick your ass so if i may do a, just a bit of indulgent new jersey stuff this will take less than a minute um what is the oldest name that you remember on the venue that the devils played in Brendan Byrne Arena. All right, good. So you—that's OG. That you are all the way. Yes. In. And, and, and in fact, when I was in when I was in fourth or fifth grade, we had to learn how to write letters, and and um, so and we were supposed to write a letter to some public figure, and I wrote a letter to the governor of New Jersey. Uh, this was I was also like big into animals and and stuff, and I was upset because uh, they had allowed Ozzy Osbourne to perform at that arena. Uh, and he would. I was back when he would like bite the heads off of bats and stuff. And I and I and my, my, the the line of large logic of my objection was that um, this arena is named after a governor of our state, and we should not be sullying his good name by allowing animal abuse to take place on the stage of this hallowed arena. The classic Brendan Byrne, Ozzy Osbourne binary. <laughs> Pick a side. Hey, uh, didn't that Devils team? I mean, everyone remembers Martin Brodeur. You know what? Everyone my age remembers Martin Brodeur. Yeah. But uh, didn't they Number have one 30. super badass defenseman too? Scott Stevens. Scott Stevens. Oh, Scott. Yeah. oh, yeah, Scott Stevens. Because I was thinking it was Sergei Zubov. It was not Sergei Zubov. But yeah, the we Stevens. Are, off great. on the remembering some guys gambit early. I they It was weird. That was the first New Jersey. I mean, I was a, a Giants fan as a kid, and they won a bunch of Super Bowls and stuff. But And I knew they were a New Jersey team, but you couldn't say it because it, they didn't go by that. Right. The Devils were the only New Jersey sports franchise that was any good – until like really until after I graduated from college, like I cheered for some Nets teams that were spunky and I cared about them a lot. And like my thoughts on Drazen Petrovic are a matter of public record, but <laughs> I will not go over here. But like the Devils actually were routinely pretty good. And then like a championship contender, even when I was in high school. And it was it, like, I don't know, it's there's something about as somebody who doesn't care about hockey, like what that meant in a state that was so used to uh, just losing and like being the butt of jokes that i don't know like i'll always have a soft spot for that organization and those teams simply because of the fact that i don't think it had occurred to me that it was possible for new jersey to win shit until they did yeah totally. i mean look i i grew up in the 80s and it was the nets and the devils were both terrible uh the arena was never more than half full we also had net season tickets and really? um they had you could go you do practice attention with- yeah, you could go do practice with the Nets, and I met Daryl Dawkins. Right after the practice, you could go around and get their autographs. This is how desperate they were for season ticket holders. And so, I, and I asked Daryl Dawkins for his wristband, which he gave me. It was like a double wide, gigantic wristband. Um, but was yeah, it like, like was it like a bar wristband, like to get you a free drink or anything like that? <laughs> no, <laughs> got him into the the but Nissan like, VIP area. Even the ten year old me was aware that this kind of access to these players 
the fact that I could like go to the practice and meet Daryl Dawkins and Chico Resch meant that nobody else wanted this opportunity. Yeah, it kind of ruins it. Like, right, right. Like, 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 like this, this, this opportunity was not in demand. Yeah, there's definitely. I had similar experiences. Like the few times that I like lucked into really good seats at Nets games, I was like, this is entirely too easy. Like, I'm not well connected. Right. Like, why is the governor sitting next to me? Like, who fucked up and let this happen? Right, right. Uh, no, to, sure. to modern sports, I want to shift over uh, to basketball because uh, the NBA All-Star Game is this Sunday in Atlanta. It is still scheduled. Roth, mm. why? This don't fucking do it, man. I mean, it's because they, I am assuming that like this is like the sort of the, the Ray Ratto rule that I have where like when in doubt, just assume that there's some TV contract that people want to get paid for. And yes, that And then it's just a matter of, of how many very obvious and reasonable objections can be overruled in order to justify fulfilling that obligation. But man, this is, no one even wants, the players don't want to play it. Like I don't no. want to watch it. Just like, it's got, at this point, it seems clear they're not going to cancel it, though, I guess. They're, they're not, it's, but it's got real Pro Bowl vibes to it. Like, yeah. none of the players won't play it at, at all. So I feel like everyone's going everyone's gonna to tweak a knee or like a hammy. You're like, right before the game, be like, oh, sorry. Yeah, there looks less of that than I expected. Like, I fully thought that, like, basically everyone besides, like, Vucevic and, and Julius Randle would be like, I have a thing that day. Like, I have a... I'm, <laughs> Getting bar mitzvahed. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> yeah. Never ever underestimate a pro athlete's willingness to not play in a game that they don't have to play in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, also, it's but, like all the stuff that that justifies the All Star Game in you know past years, which is like all the fun shit around it, and then also knowing that it's like a big party for the players, and you know, like just the sort of the broader like NBA celebrating itself. Like obviously, that's not for me, but it's like that makes some sense. Like, you can't do that now. Like, you could, because I think Atlanta is pretty wide open, and you could do all of that shit if you wanted to. But, like, it's just there's so many ways that it could go wrong or be bad. Like, just, I, it seems like such an easy thing to punt, given the the broader context of it, which is, like, I this is the first time I've cared enough about an All-Star game to be mad about it since I was, like, 10 years old. But, like, it really does bother me that they're doing it. I do wonder if, it, if there is, um, because... The, all, the NBA All-Star Game sort of functions as the NBA Super Bowl, and I don't mean that in terms of the meaning of the game, obviously, but in terms of it's where people congregate, particularly the media, they can do it in, it's, you know, there's one weekend in one city, yeah, and it's got all of that, and I feel like they still like having that part of it, like as a gift to like media and like sponsors and shit like that, like they like <clears> the <throat> whole sort of chumminess of that, and they want to keep it, and then they can just say, okay, well... You know, the fans love it. Even the fans don't really give a fuck. Yeah. I mean, the fans can, don't can have I, access to it. I just don't get the idea of being like, we're going to host a bunch of super spreader events for everybody <laughs> just to like, because you deserve it. You know, like you worked hard and now you get to go to like whatever, like a big party thrown by Hyundai. Are, are they still having all those events? Yeah, I think they, well, I mean, the official stuff, like the slam dunk contest and whatever, all that shit's like way scaled down, right. but they are still having it. But they wanted to have it like all day of like it's very haphazardly kind of like cramming it all in. So it's like I guess, again, it's the sort of thing where they like they committed to like whoever sponsors the slam dunk contest. They don't want to like wind up on the wrong side of like Mountain Dew Code Red or whatever. (laughs) Right. But it's still just it's bizarre to me because it's like they as Pro Bowl is exactly the right call there where it's just like a thing that everybody's doing because they kind of have to do it. And they're trying to sort of justify like the you know the minimum acceptable amount of doing it that qualifies as doing it that's what they're going for right yeah 
Right. And the mayor of Atlanta doesn't want the game to happen. Like, and mayors never do that. Mayors are yeah. always like, yeah, yeah, please come use our city and, and treat it like absolute shit. Right. Like you're going to float all our steakhouses for like the next year. And then in this case, like that's not even going to happen. Yeah. Did anything happen after the Super Bowl? Was there any like data or re- like, 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 um, was that any kind of like massive spreader event? It, it wasn't because they, all the celebrating was outside, which it seems right. like is what, and, you know, maybe if that's the case, like, you know, and if Atlanta is willing, willing to, like, turn its streets into, like, a shitty Barcelona for a weekend, I'm sure it's warm enough there that you could probably party outside. Right. It's just, like, like whatever, fucking Magic City or whatever is not an outside venue. You know, like, the places where people actually want to go are inside and, you know, whatever, right. presumably just are doing whatever. Right. I, I mean, I ask because, I mean, look, generally speaking, I'm in agreement with both of you about, like, generally how, how we should be going about dealing with covid as i've heard you express on other shows so like i'm i'm with you but like i don't know part of me feels like like the nba has got plenty of money like there's a ton of money in this event and that the sponsors like and generally big companies with lots of money can usually afford to take the right precautions they can get enough space they can give out enough masks you know like and um my only hesitation is like the idea that the players would be compelled to play against their will i don't really i feel like they should have the option to opt out in this specific this specific year yeah Um, i think that's right but like if they want to play and if and if people want to go and they want to put it on tv and they're taking the the right precautions like they certainly have the money and the resources to take those precautions i i mean i think that's true and i think that like to the extent that i've seen games with fans at them like it looks a little bit wrong but like not significant it's not like wrong enough where you're like all those people are too close together you shouldn't be yelling like that yeah, I'm not as I'm not as uptight about it as I used to be. Like in the fall, like I didn't want to watch Memphis games because they had fans in the arena. Like I could watch and football like games. I could watch football games where there were fans because most of those venues were outside. Even though Cowboy Stadium is not really outside, um, but like when it was inside, particularly college games, I was like, I can't, I can't watch this shit. But like now with the vaccine sort of ramping up and with with rates down i don't get that doesn't that reflex isn't quite there anymore yeah like, it just it, makes i mean the part of it that i found like myself getting impatient with with that is that it's again the idea that like basically people and their responsible choices or irresponsible choices are leading the response and that the state is just from one place to the next and then like the capital s state in general is just kind of doing whatever yeah and that's really like infuriating because right. it's, you know, beyond the fact that there's still this risk, you know, that like I have like friends that like have gotten sick in the last weeks, you know, have gotten it. Like it's not done. Right. But it's that's the sort the, of thing. I'd be so well, go ahead. Pit, I'd be so pissed after a year if I got it, you know? Yeah. Like, I all this shit for nothing. Like, so. right. Yeah. And that's like the whole, to me, like the idea of like rushing to do this stuff when it seems like we really now, like there is some reason for hope. Like, just, like, focus up. Like, nail this shit down over the next few weeks. And, like, yeah, if you really still want to reopen schools for the next two months, like, vaccinate all the teachers and then do it. But don't do it and then complain about how some of the teachers aren't vaccinated and how some need to be vaccinated more than others or whatever. Like, get serious about it. Right. It, was, it still feels like we're not, like, at that point yet. Or, like, I people was, are, but the state isn't. I was watching uh, – there was a new Netflix special for, for Brian Regan, the comedian, and, uh, and my wife and I watched it, and it was at Red Rocks. It was Brian Regan at Red Rocks. And we're like, wow, it's a new special. It must have been recorded before COVID. It was not. Everyone, uh, it was it was an outside amphitheater. And everyone was wearing a mask. But there was no distancing. It was, so it was like a regular crowd. Everyone was wearing a mask for this. And it was outside. And at first I was like, man, they're, they're pretty 
close together, those people. And then I just let it go, and I just watched it, and I was yeah. Okay. I feel like the outside stuff at this point, especially after the the marches and shit during the summer, like if you wear a mask, like and you aren't an idiot, like it does seem like outside is safe. Yeah. I, that said, like the idea of as a comedian doing Red Rocks, you better fucking trust your stuff. But it's Brian <laughs> Regan. He's he's All pretty right. Right. he's pretty good at that stuff. All right, so let's uh, bring Dan into the fold and play some Dead or Canceled. You ready to play Dead or Canceled, Dan? Let's do it. This Our dumb rel- games. This one's relatively easy. You have to tell me whether this person is dead or canceled. Uh, we'll go with an Italian theme this week. You're dead or canceled. Mario Batali, is he dead or canceled? <laughs> he is canceled. Yeah, he's canceled. That is correct. Your guy <laughs> of the week. Your guy of the week is Chris Gatling. While we're sticking on the New Jersey theme. Do you remember Chris Gatling, Dan? Only vaguely. Yeah, it's okay. I've you know got what? you on this that's, one. That's, <laughs> that's literally everyone who's yeah. yeah. Our producer, Brandon, saw Chris Gatling listed as the guy of the week, and he's like, oh, man, he made the All-Star one time. He made the All-Star <laughs> one time. That is the most random All-Star in was the history of the all Is he from I feel like I'm getting Maryland vibes in my head from Chris from, Gatling. He played at Old Dominion, I think. I okay. could be wrong about that, though. I should look that up. Uh, but, yeah, he was. Um, he's a he's a Delmarva king as a gen- – like that broader region. And then is also like the type of guy that could make one All-Star team, but – most definitely will never make two. Oh, he's from Elizabeth, dude. Oh, went to Elizabeth now I High like School. Him. He did go to ODU though. Ooh. Uh, but yeah, so he was a he came back to New Jersey to um make one All Star team as a. I he made made it off the bench. I mean, he was just like an offense first big guy. He had also one of those. We were talking about. This is going to make our workplace sound very cool. We were talking about <laughs> Tate George the other day. Our basketball yes, track. we sure were. And uh, because he threw the assist to Chris Morris that he then dunked and broke the backboard against the Bulls at a game that I was at. Uh, my friend Ned high-fived Ed Lover of Yo! MTV Raps. After Ed that. Lover! <laughs> All rules were suspended. We sat in the same section as him. And he was running up and down, high-fiving everybody. Roth, original- you don't need to tell... The original first Dr. Dre, since the now late yeah, Dr. Yeah, Dre. They, <laughs> I don't yeah, so they, they, um, I don't think that Dr. Dre would go, but it was like uh, Ed Lover uh, would sit there. He, I guess he just liked the Nets. But yeah, Gatling um, and Tate George had similar career after arcs in that they like were kind of, you know, like moderately beloved, obscure uh, contributors to not good Nets teams who then went on to commit real estate fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, you want to right. answer a, a fun bag question? Please. All right. Uh, this is from Adam. He writes in, how about a melt butter button on the microwave? Calibrate to assume for half six at a time from the fridge. I'm sick of dealing with power levels and times and still getting boiling butter at the end. I have a quick note about this, but I want you to answer first. I never trust any of those preset buttons on the microwave. Yeah. I, I just feel like they're never, I'm like, oh, you don't know. There's no way that you're going to get this right, microwave. Um, I'm just going to like put it in for 15 seconds at power level seven over and over again until it's melted and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and stir intermittently. And like that's just, I, I know, yeah, that's just how I roll. Is that true it, of popcorn? Do you trust the popcorn setting? Uh, no. Okay. No, because especially popcorn, you got to like, it, it's a fine line. You, of course, you want every kernel possible to be popped. But on the other hand, you don't want any to be burnt. Um, so, you know, no, no, you microwave, I just, you put it in for like 10 minutes and then just stand there and you listen for the pops. And when the pops are two to three seconds apart, you 
hit stop and you pull it out. Yeah, you need yeah. that tooth sink ability with the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that with the popcorn thing, like when you were saying it, like I, I was, I was like, he better say two or three seconds apart because it's like somehow reading the box of like Pop Secret when I was eleven, like that's the text that stuck with me. Like I read a lot of interesting stuff in college, all of it is forgotten. <laughs> But the idea of it being like, I'm like, hey, you got to It's got to be two or three seconds. Right. Of course, you don't want to gild the lily. Like I did that a lot in high right. school. The idea of being like, I want every one of them to be popped. Totally. Like, and no you, little and, nugs at the and bottom. And you take of it out, it. and it's burnt. Yep. And, yep. and if you burn my, if you burn popcorn in a microwave, that smell will never come out of that microwave. So nope. I so uh, I have a microwave, and it has a it has a melt button. But uh, when you press the melt button, it gives you two options for what and asks you what you're melting. And the two options it gives you are chocolate. And cream cheese. There is no butter melting <laughs> option. And I'm like, I'm like, who the fuck is melting all this cream cheese? That this is that's like fantastic. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> I've like never a, even heard of that. Yeah, I, like I know sometimes that, you want to soften cream cheese, but I've never heard of melting it. Yeah, like is that a prerequisite for like making a red velvet cake? I don't understand. That is really intense. Those both seem like things too. Well, melting cream cheese just seems like something that you wouldn't. It's like it's like if your microwave had a like cook crab button on it you'd be like well, i don't want to do that <laughs> right like, right <laughs> like it's cool that you thought of it but i don't believe it would work i do i want to put a live crab in the microwave and see what happens <laughs> peter writes in dan he says when you think of Kristen bell what comes to mind first i think it's the good place but my boyfriend sis it should be veronica mars when i say the name Kristen bell what is the first thing you think of dan frozen yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. Frozen. I was gonna say this is a dad thing. Yeah, I mean, I I have two daughters, and Frozen's a big deal in our house, and I think of her as Anna always. Is Frozen still a big deal in your house, or did you kids burn out on it? No, I, I wouldn't say we burnt out. I mean, Frozen is still present, but it's on a low simmer. It's not quite as uh, it's not quite as front and center. Like when Frozen Two came out, we saw it a couple times in the theater and um you know it was big but now it's it's fading but it's still there is frozen 2 any good i've actually never had to watch frozen 2 because my kids were so burned out on frozen the first i mean time. it's it's darker than frozen 1 it is and certainly more complicated i mean do, like I, do like more my wife parents and I, die in it no no parents die but like yeah. the whole the whole plot is more elaborate there's more layers to it mm. um, my, like my wife and i had to talk it through afterwards to make sure we both understood it <laughs> that's, that's what you want that's what you want you want that wandavision thing like what the fuck did i just watch right. yeah. uh, by the way uh, when i think of Kristen fell and this is bad i think of the the stupid enterprise ad she does so damn you enterprise wow mm. really yeah for me it's it's veronica mars and will always be veronica mars but uh yeah, I mean she's a she's a delight. I the idea of like Frozen again as a not being a, a person of child, it's different for me. But the idea of like having seen Frozen enough times to the point where like as an adult you're sick of Kristen Bell's voice, like that would be a bummer for me. Like cuz it's always a little treat when she shows up in something. Yeah, no, no, she's always good in things. Uh this is the last one. Uh this is from Brian's your email of the week. Uh hang with me this one. It goes it goes for a bit. Brian writes in, a discussion amongst friends led us to lamenting about not being able to travel at all due to the pandemic. This also led us to commenting about how airfare was so cheap right now. We are debating that once we were vaccinated, we should go somewhere to try to take advantage. This eventually led to us deciding it would be a good place to, f- to decide where it would be a good place to fly for a day. What is the ranking of best places to fly in for a day of sightseeing or leisure travel? You go one place for just a day trip, Dan, and you got to fly back that day. Where are you going? Ooh, that's tough. The, I think the first 
the first factor that I would want to calculate into is is where is the airport in relation to the city or the you know, the place. Because I don't want to have to, you know, take an hour and a half to get from the airport to the places right. I want to go. I'm going to lose half the day. Um, well, you live in New York, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so your your end of the airport battery is already shitty, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so, so that that's irritating. I'm trying to think. Uh, like, I, I I feel like I would want to go somewhere more sort of small, where the air it's a small airport that's close to the attractions, so that like. Um, you know, like maybe one of the smaller airports in Florida, if you just want to go, like, if, it, it depends on where you are. Uh, but like, if you're out West, I would go somewhere like Tucson, you know, where, uh, uh, where you can kind of like fly on a small plane and get there quickly or like West Palm beach in Florida or like Traverse city, Michigan. Um, I, I would want to go for like a smaller vacation destination where, where you can get off the plane easily, get your bag quickly, drive quickly to a, a cool place get back through security quickly. Like that's my big focus. Yeah. I was going to say Miami to come to or mind Chicago, but the airport factor there is tough. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, I, I would not go, to, I would not go to a very big city because every big city has airport, you know, difficulties. I would go somewhere a little smaller. I think this is a, this is a strange answer. Uh, my first instinct, beyond obviously like Maine. I thought of Chicago, thought of Chicago. It is honestly Portland, Maine. You I knew it. There from, you can I fly there from here it. in like fifty five minutes. But the real the real answer I had because it's like I've been to I go to Portland, Maine three times a year or whatever. Like it's not like I know exactly what I do. Like it's not the most exotic thing. Like it's just a question of uh, you know ordering it. Uh, like is Montreal? Uh, Ooh, like, yes, I've never That's a been. Good one. But it seems like it's the closest experience you can get to like something authentically foreign. I know the food is killer. And it's like, I, I mean, I, I went there with my summer camp when I was a little kid. And I don't remember anything about it at all. We went to an Expos game. Uh, I remember it sucked. I remember there was just a car driving around behind the center field fence, like just doing tasks. <laughs> uh, it's not like fun. Uh, but that seems like the sort of thing where like if you could fly someplace and get like a passably French seeming French meal and then fly back and still not be super wiped out. That's probably the closest you could come. Yeah. That's my my wife places. and I actually, oh, oh, sorry, that. my wife and I actually went to Quebec city a few years back and it was really nice and fun and, and everything you just said. And it's like, like an hour from New York and an hour from just about anywhere in the Northeastern half of America, including the Midwest. I feel like Montreal is one of those places that, like, the difference between visiting it as a child and visiting it as an adult is just galactic. Like, I went. Oh to, my god! Yeah, I went to Amsterdam like, when the- I was a kid, and I was like, "Well, this place is boring because I just <laughs> was a kid. I was a kid." Yeah, the adult cities of our uh, cultural heritage are definitely. Right. Don't take your kids there necessarily. They're not going to dig it at all. Brandon Nix is our producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. And our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Distract. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com too. And Dan Pashman... His podcast is The Sporkful. You can read more about it at sporkful.com. That's sporkful with one L, sporkful.com. Dan Pashman, you've been a fabulous guest, and I wish you nothing but good luck on your maiden voyage into becoming a pasta baron. Yeah, Thank man. you so much. I appreciate it, guys. I'll work on that roller coaster Chef D thing for you, Drew. Yeah, make <laughs> that happen. Pull some strings. <laughs> Thank you. You're dead to me if you don't make it happen. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.